I went golfing here recently. We had a men's golfing thing. It was a lot of fun. They did this thing where you do four people on a team and they take the best ball. And so it takes all the pressure off. You can get up there and just totally hit it out in the bushes or in the water. Well, they don't count your ball, so it's great. You've got to count, I think, three different times. So they tended to pick mine uh, on the par threes because it didn't matter as much. And uh, I got my name in there. And so I, I, got, I had the final score better than I've ever had in my life uh, because they took the best ball. It was great. So I golf periodically. I golf with friends, with pastors. And I'm about as good as I'm ever going to get golfing. The score that I get every time I go is eh, it's kind of in there. I'm not going to get uh, what you call good. I'm just adequate. I'm, adequ- I'm, I'm good enough so that I don't totally embarrass myself. And I'm kind of where everybody else is. Most pastors I golf with were kind of in the ballpark. And so there's an awful lot of Christians. That's how they live their Christian life. Uh, Yeah, you know, nobody's perfect. So let's not get carried away and even think about it. Let's just be adequate. We'll fit in, you know, good enough so I don't embarrass myself. And that's... uh, fairly common view for many, many Christians. One of the things that contributes to that is I don't have to be good to get to heaven. It's a free gift, not earned nor deserved. It's just by faith, so why be good? I'll be, you know, kind of good, sort of good, just so that I don't embarrass myself and fit in with you all. So we're going to be on a series for the next four months on holiness. And... uh, For a lot of people, it's not their favorite topic because it makes them feel guilty. (laughs) And so I have goals when I preach, and one of my goals is to make you feel like dirt. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So I love you too. Good to see you all. Anyway, you can let me know. You can say, hey, pastor, you met your goal. I just felt like dirt tonight. And that'll just make my day when you you communicate that. So you have some notes, and I must have had a, a low view because we ran out of notes. I'm sorry for those of you who didn't get any of them. So, But we'll just charge through this. And um, number one in your notes is God's will. It's his will. This isn't my idea. I didn't come up with this. It's his will and desire that we become holy and righteous in our behavior and character in this life. It's God's will. It's his desire. That's what he wants for me, for you, is that we would become holy uh, and righteous in our behavior and in our character in this life. That's what he wants now, the cool thing about golf is that you keep score, and you say, how'd you do? Well, I got a 120. Oh, wow, you're really good. Uh, and, or whatever we do, uh, we often keep score in sports, basketball, football. We compare teams by the score that they get. So I could say, uh, how you doing on your righteousness pursuit, holiness pursuit? What's your score this week? If I said that, you'd look at me like, what? Your score, you know. Did you not get on the holiness meter and stand on it and look and see what your score was? Uh, No, I didn't know there was such a thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to sell them. (laughs) You can see every day how you're doing in your pursuit of holiness. That would make it a little easier, I would think. But I can do that. You can do that. I can think about me. I can think about how I think. I can think about how I talk. I can think about how I act, how I treat people. And I can come up with a fairly accurate assessment of how I'm doing in my pursuit of righteousness and holiness. The average person doesn't do that, though. 
we just stay adequate. As long as we don't make a really big sin, then we'll fit in, we'll be okay. 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy, be holy, yourself also in all, all, all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So the standard is God. Matthew 5.48, Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so that's the goal, the standard, is to be as holy, as righteous as Jesus, as he lived his life. 1 Peter 4.2, So as to live the rest of the time, rest of the time, in other words, for me, that's, you know, a couple of months maybe. <laughs> we don't know. Um, some of you have a longer time. The rest of the time, the rest of your life in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. The time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire. You've had enough time messing around, blowing it. Okay, so let's just not do that anymore. You've had plenty of time uh, to sin. For the time is past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensual, sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Uh, I never did get in real big trouble when I grew up because my mother uh, wouldn't let me. Uh, she kind of kept a pretty short leash on me. I went to vacation Bible school anytime anybody had one, youth group, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Sunday school, summer camp, whatever there was, I went to it. I, it wasn't an option. And uh, so uh, when I would take the car, Dad would check the mileage when I got back. So he knew how far it was I was going. I remember one time we jacked up the car and put it in reverse and let it run for about 30 minutes uh, to take off some mileage so when I got home I wouldn't get in trouble. And so I, I was kept track of pretty good all the way through school, so I never did really get into too much trouble. First Thessalonians 2, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging. Now this is a pastor talking here, and that's what I'll be doing in this series, exhorting, encouraging, imploring each one of you as a father with his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk in a manner worthy. I heard a pastor one time preach. He says, we can never be worthy. Oh, we can't be worthy of your salvation, but the command is walk worthy of the God who's called you into his kingdom. Uh, and so I don't want to uh, embarrass him. Second Peter 1, seeing that his divine power his divine power, that's the key thing on this pursuit of holiness and righteousness is that he gives us what we need to make it happen. He gives us all that we need. He doesn't give us the will. He gives us the desire, but we choose. His divine power has granted to us everything, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You may become partakers of the divine nature. Uh, put simply, that means we become like Jesus. We become like him, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason, applying all diligence. So if we're going uh, to emphasize the how, 
key word in the how is diligence. In other words, you've got to uh, make the effort. His power, his divine power, his precious promises are available. We have everything needed, but it's a partnership deal. We don't sit on the couch. We don't just uh, tread water. We're actively involved in pursuing righteousness, pursuing holiness, and diligence is the key word that's repeated over and over and over again. Uh, diligence. In, in fact, it says uh, all diligence, all diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence. Faith, that's where we start. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, and that's the key thing, it's not an issue of being there. It's a matter of moving, always moving, always getting just a little bit, just a little bit, just a little bit better increasing they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our lord jesus christ he lacks these qualities is blind short-sighted having forgotten his purification from his sins having forgotten that he's a believer that he's a son of god second corinthians 7 1 therefore having these promises beloved let us cleanse ourselves i took a shower before i came tonight i was working on my 69 mustang and i was covered with grease from head to foot uh, that was kind of a sight, and so I took a shower. It took a while to get all that grease off. It doesn't come off easy. I cleansed myself. I brushed my teeth. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. When we get into the real nuts and bolts, we're going to talk about the fear of God because it's a key. Ephesians 5, 1, therefore be imitators of God, imitators of God, do what God does, do what Jesus did as beloved children, walk in love just as Christ loved you, gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. 1 Thessalonians 4, for this is the will of God, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is that you become holy, that is that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things, just as we also told you before, solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification, that is holiness, Titus 2.11. For the grace of God, that's how we're saved, grace. Grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. It's available to all men. Jesus died for the sins of every individual, instructing us to, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed, to redeem us from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds." Now, one of the problems that the church has in the pursuit of holiness is that we've made such a, uh, we've camped on grace. 
And one of the things that sometimes people will say, uh, you're a legalist. What do you mean? Well, you, you just push being good all the time. Say, do you know what legalism is? And uh, when I ask the question, they're pretty sure they're going to give the wrong answer, so they're reluctant to even answer it after I ask the question. Legalism is working your way to heaven. Are you saved? Are you headed for heaven? Did you trust Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord? Yeah, I did. Okay. We're done with that one. That's in the past. That's fixed. That's over. Now, we're moving on. We're moving on. We're pursuing holiness and righteousness, not because we have to, but because that's what children of God do. Legalism. When you talk about legalism, you're talking about here. That's getting saved. We're saved. That's done. Now we're moving on. We're pursuing holiness to become like Jesus. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us. Notice, that's a comma. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, godly in the present age. So we get saved by grace and... And we move on to pursue holiness and righteousness. First Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, be, may, because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. They'll glorify, glorify God in the day of visitation because they're there. They're going to heaven because they observed your life, how you lived your life. Second Peter 3, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we're looking for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent. Be diligent. There's that cool word again. Be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. So I'm going to be 73 in 20 days. That's getting up there. I'm not there yet. That is spotless and blameless. So, oh man, maybe I've got seven years left. I don't know. I better get on the stick and start pushing a little harder. Philippians 3.12, not that I have already obtained it. Oh, Paul wasn't there yet either. I've not obtained it yet or I've already become perfect. Perfect doesn't mean sinless. It means grown up, mature in character like Christ. I've not become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. What he's saying is that Jesus saved me for a purpose. That purpose was that I would become like him. So I'm pressing on, pressing on, that I may lay hold of that which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I messed up a bunch. I've blown it so many times. I've up and down, up and down, but... I'm going to forget all that that lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on. I press on toward the goal. Oh, don't you love that word goal? 
I press on toward the word goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example. Observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. So I'm not there. I'm slightly behind my golf score. <laughs> uh, got a ways to go, but I'm going to press on, forgetting what lies behind. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. 2, 8, 9 is the classic salvation passage. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one may boast. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Number two, righteousness has always been a big deal to God. It's not just since the cross. It's been since Adam. It's what God wants of his people. That's what he has always wanted. Genesis 6, 9, Noah was righteous. He was a righteous man. Blameless. Blameless. Noah walked with God. Job 1.1, 1, 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, fearing God, turning away from evil. And then in the Gospel of Luke, John the Baptist's parents in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God. They were righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So that's always been God's will, and that's always been a big deal with him. Hebrews 11:5. by faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was not found because God took him, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And so you have people throughout the Old Testament. Now you all know that we have a huge advantage now in this pursuit because of his power that lives in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. But we still have to exercise faithfulness. We still have to exercise diligence, but we've got the power. Number three, our biggest struggle in our pursuit of holiness is keeping our theology straight. So we have this pendulum thing. And so if you look at what would be termed the Dark Ages in the history of Christianity, uh, there wasn't much grace. Best way to get to heaven in those days was just give the priest a bunch of money. Just buy your salvation. That was a bunch of corruption in the church and a lot of really bad teaching. And then along came Luther and Zwingli and, and Calvin and a bunch of those dudes, and we have what we call the Reformation and uh, many of the denominations that we have now are born out of that uh, period of time. And the big deal was grace alone, faith alone, God's word alone. It was, uh, but then you had this pendulum swing over to this point where it was grace, 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 grace. And because works, good works and deeds had been so abused, it was sort of like taken out of the picture. It wasn't even part of the deal. 
I wrote a paper. I was, went to college as a freshman, and I took a Bible, a bonehead Bible class, and, and we had a, an, everybody write, wrote a different paper, and then once the papers were written, we would compare it. They were all sort of basic theology. Mine was, was uh, the title that I pulled out of the little box with the label was Grace and Law. I said, oh, great. I don't want that one. I've not figured that one out yet. And so I did some reading, and I discovered that most of the authors that I read hadn't figured it out either. Uh, there was a lot of confusion on how does this whole thing fit together? I mean, did we just chuck out all the rules and because we're saved without works, or well, how does that fit? And um, I wrote the paper on it, but I think I got a D minus on it. <laughs> it wasn't very well done. Uh, Number four, many have a hard time trying to figure out how grace and diligence fit together. Not by works. So where's diligence come in? It's just a sequential thing. You just get the first things first. Last things last. Middle things middle. Do things in the right order. Number five, when our theology gets messed up, our motivation to pursue righteousness goes out the window. So I ride my stationary bike an hour, an hour and a half, almost every single day. And when I tell people that, they'll say, wow, you are such a disciplined person. I say, no, I'm not disciplined. I hate riding that bike. Every time I go out there, I say uh, to my grandson, courage, I'm going out to the torture chamber. Why do I ride the dumb bike then? Well, because if I do, I feel good. If I don't, uh, I feel awful. In fact, if I don't, it doesn't take very long before I can't even get out of bed. I can't hardly walk. And so bicycle riding has been a huge therapy for my Parkinson. As long as I ride an hour a day, I mean, most people don't even know I've got Parkinson. Because I, you know, I'm a little stiff, but not bad. So why do I ride the bike? Because I feel good. There's a huge reward for doing it. I'm not disciplined. I'm just reward-driven. So, why pursue holiness? What's the motive? If there is no motive, there's no motivation. If you don't have a right motive, a pure motive, one that is really biblical, then you're not going to... It's just going to be a cultural thing. You just want to fit in with everybody else, not be too bad so you don't stick out. But there's not the diligence, the effort, the drive, the passion to pursue it diligently because why? What reason is there? And so the theology that we have often messes with our motivation, takes it all away. And so diligence is no longer part of our life in regards to that. Number six, we're saved by grace, not by works. So good works, holiness, and righteousness achieved as a result of diligence and faithfulness is often looked at with suspicion and called legalism. So over the years of pastoring, being on the radio, having a lot of my sermons broadcast, one of the things that I've heard from people in response to my preaching over 44 years more than any other thing is the uh, term legalism. legalism. You're a legalist. You know, it's, it's the point where I, that's my least favorite word in the English language, any language. And, you know, I regularly get in discussions with people, so what do you mean? Uh, what's your 
uh, definition. What is, it, what is it that I did that prompted you to call me a legalist? And so it's just the pursuit of righteousness. People don't like it. And so if somebody says, hey, be holy. Jesus is holy. He said, you're supposed to be holy. I don't want to be holy. I kind of like just getting by. I like a score of 120 in golf. Um, <clears throat> I may not finish this tonight, so if I don't, it's no big deal. We'll just take right off where we left off next week. Number seven, the second problem that people have as they pursue righteousness is that they focus on the outside and forget about the inside. So, somebody said in a sermon, Jesus never called anybody a sinner. I'm thinking to myself, I wonder if you ever read Matthew 23. He may not have called them a sinner, but he called them snakes and vipers and, and uh, hypocrites and said, woe is you. In Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of, of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish. See that word, first? One of the keys to pursuing holiness and righteousness legitimately with God's blessing and his power is do things in the right order. If you do things in the right order, then legalism is not a word that will apply to you. Uh, first, clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may become clean also. Do you know why often we'll do the outside first? Because that's what you can see. Yeah. I can tell you my golf score and you can see how I look and how I talk and how I act and, and so I'm exerting discipline on how I act. I went fishing with a guy and uh, he lost a fish, a big fish, and he started cussing like crazy. I mean, big time cussing. And then a little bit he looks at me and he says, oh, excuse my French. I said, that's all right. I'd have cussed too if I lost that fish. He looked at me and says, oh, you wouldn't cuss. I said, well, I wouldn't do it loud anyway. Um, we were building on this building, and someone in the church got hit with a shoot on the cement mixer inadvertently, and he cussed. And as soon as he did, he, I, I, I'm looking at him, he just went like this. And as soon as he did, he turns around real slow. And he sees me looking at him, smiling. He says, oh, I was hoping you didn't hear that. I'm aware that you hear what I say. I'm aware that you see what I do. And so we're pressured in, as the church to act a certain way, to behave a certain way, to talk a certain way, because that's what Christians do. And uh, nothing really changed when holiness and righteousness is on the outside and not on the inside. That's what the Pharisees did. And Jesus said, you clean the inside, the outside's automatic. The outside's automatic. 
You clean the outside and you'll keep going back. You'll keep lapsing. You'll keep messing up. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful. Inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanliness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So I had an individual years ago send me a note, and I had asked him to teach a class, I think, he says, Pastor D, I'm going to turn down your offer to teach. Um, you don't really know me. You don't know, he said this very word, you don't know what's inside me. If you knew, you would have never asked me to teach that class. And so I wrote back, I actually called him and said, hey, let's get together and talk about what's inside of you and how we can clean that up. And uh, we've been working on it ever since. That's the goal. You keep working on it, getting cleaner little bit by little bit by little bit. Eight, a, th a third huge problem is that people who start to become holy and righteous most often become judgmental of others who are not quite as holy as they are and create conflict and disunity in the church. So... I don't know if you knew this or not, but there are not a, a lot of what you would call evangelical Bible-preaching churches that make much of a big deal on holiness. They really don't. And one of the reasons is because when they do, conflict starts. Division starts. Because somebody says, okay, I'm going to be holy, and they become a little bit holy, and the first thing they do is they notice, well, that guy, look at him. Wow, he's a dirty, rotten sinner. Look at that dude over there. And then pretty soon you've got these rules. <clears throat> we, uh, when we first started, we had pinochle nights. And we'd invite unchurched people and play pinochle. There was a couple of people that got real excited about that. Not excited and, ha, ah, happy. Uh, excited, oh, that's terrible, you dirty, rotten sinner. You're playing cards. You, should, you, you could probably go right to hell. And then we had poker nights. Oh, wow, I had people making appointments to come into my office and tell me what a bad... And then I remember the first time we did uh, score dancing and Baptists don't dance. And so you got these rules, dancing, cards, all the, the things that get added as churches have made holiness the goal. So holiness has about 99% of the definition of what that is, is how I treat you and how you treat me and how we honor and uh, respect each other and talk to each other. That's most of what the Bible emphasizes when it talks about our behavior. It doesn't say anything in the Bible about cards or gambling. Uh, it does say not to get drunk, but it doesn't say anything about beer. I haven't seen that one in the Bible. Or dancing. I... Uh, I was a senior and we went on a skip day and we went to Portland and we went to the movie Sound of Music just came out and I was really nervous that my pastor was going to find out that I went to Sound of Music uh, and I'd be in big trouble can you imagine that that was a good movie I watched it about a thousand times because my girls watched it a thousand times they rented it all the time so we just kept watching it
So, uh, judgmental spirit is a killer in a church. It's a killer. So I'm 73, and there are some people that are 10. Did you know that I'm quite a bit smarter than they are? Should I be? Sure, they're 10. I'm 73. And I can catch way more fish than they can. Uh, so you have a little kid, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. You get life illustrates progressive growth. And in the church, you have people that are new believers. You got guys that cuss. And you got individuals that have been around for a while and they've sort of got it figured out. And in the context of levels of maturity and levels of holiness and righteousness, there needs to be graciousness and forgiveness and tolerance uh, given and encouragement given, but not a judgmental, critical spirit because it kills the, the whole thing because God's blessing will be out the window in a heartbeat when that happens. Now, this historically has been a huge problem for Baptists. Well, I mean, we're not just Baptists. We're conservative Baptists. Somebody asked me what that meant. I said, that means we only play cards on Mondays and Tuesdays. <laughs> they said, really? <laughs> Ephesians 4.1, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called together with. See that? Together with together with, at the same time, all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. So walk in a manner worthy, but at the same time, practice humility, gentleness, patience, tolerance to others. So this happens in a variety of ways. One of the, the, the ways it happens here in our church, because we kind of got past the card playing and the, and the dancing and some of those things, we had our scuffles and everybody that's kind of doesn't like that went to another church. But So, you know, we're okay with all that kind of stuff. One of the things that tends to happen is because there's this push for it. You know, if you don't, aren't involved in the church and doing any kind of ministry, I call you a wart. I don't call that to your face, and I don't tell anybody else that you're a ward. I just kind of use that as a kind of a funny expression. Yeah, you want to kind of get plugged in. And so here's an individual here that's, I mean, they take the offering, and uh, they teach you a Sunday school class, and they help out with va vacation Bible school, or there's a, and they mow the lawn. And then over there, there's this dude that doesn't do much of anything, and he gets kind of critical of him, talks about him to other people says things. Uh, you know, I've got it, and I'm a functioning part of the body of Christ. I'm doing my share, but that dude, he doesn't. And so I was chatting with a guy the other day. I said, you know, we don't pay anybody except for me and the staff, and uh, I don't do anything, and staff doesn't do anything, but we got a lot of people that volunteer. And my attitude is if they do anything, I mean, even a little bit. It's gravy. It's gravy. And uh, you motivate people into ministry by 
telling them how fun it is and how much joy you have and inviting them and praying for them. But the moment you get judgmental or critical, the moment you start talking negative about anybody in regards to doing anything, the blessing of God is out the window. And you become people that are in and those that are out, those that are doing good, those that are doing bad. It doesn't make any difference whether we're talking dancing, drinking, service, whatever. It's we're in it together and there's the patience and the, and the forgiveness and the tolerance and the humility and the gentleness involved wherever we are. Wherever we are. I mean, I, I brag all the time about uh, uh, the early days of the church. I led worship. Somebody will say, you don't sing very well. I said, well, neither do you. Why'd you lead worship? Well, because nobody else would. But, man, it, I was good. I, I was good. <laughs> I wasn't. Uh, in our church, once I stopped leading worship, we just went, we started growing like crazy. <laughs> but I still like to brag about it. Yeah, I led worship in the early days. Do not judge, Matthew 7, do not judge, you will not be judged, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Now, this is what God is going to do to you. So you want God to be easy on you? You be easy. You want God to be strict? You be strict. However you judge others, that's the way God's going to judge you. Blessed are the merciful. They will experience mercy from God. And so uh, I'll, I'll call you a wart, not to your face, kind of in fun, but... I love you and I appreciate you and I know that one of these days things are going to work out schedule-wise, energy-wise, passion-wise that yeah, you're, going to, you're going to start preaching, leading people to Jesus. It's just a matter of time. In the meantime, we'll just be tolerant and loving and encouraged. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, For we are not bold to class or compare ourselves with some of those who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are stupid that they are without understanding. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek says stupid, dumber in a fence post. When they compare themselves with themselves, they don't have any understanding. They're dumber in a fence post. It's not a good thing to do. And so uh, holiness, I want to become holy as Jesus. But if you're way back there, Man, I'll love you, and I'll go fishing with you, and I'll fellowship with you and hang out with you, and I'll pray for you, but I won't judge you, and I won't be uh, mean-spirited, and I won't talk about you to other people for sure because huh, that's where you are, and you're moving on. You're moving on. So the guy that I fished with that cussed, I said, uh, he said, uh, you ever cuss? Oh, I says, I used to be a dairy farmer. All dairy farmers cuss. Well, not, maybe not. I used to get some in the audience, but all the ones I knew did. And now I'm not a dairy farmer anymore, so I kind of got over that. But uh, yeah, that was a stage. Everybody goes through stages. One sin for this person, another sin for that. Well, we're just moving, growing, pursuing, and that's what we want. Not that I have already become perfect, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press on toward the goal that I might lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I'm pressing on towards becoming holy 
and righteous as Jesus is. He grants me the power. But boy, the minute I start abusing that in any way, once I get a little bit ahead of somebody else and start being critical, judgmental, and uh, gossiping or slandering, then I'm in big, big trouble. I'm in big trouble. So we'll do it together at various stages, be tolerant and uh, pursue holiness. And uh, some grow slow, some grow fast. That's all we want is just to move, just to move. Baby steps, big steps, but moving together, praying for each other, encouraging each other, and the whole process of becoming like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for saving us, giving us your spirit to live in us. Granted us all that we need, all the power. <clears throat> your word, you've given us your church as a place where we can encourage one another to love and good deeds. You've given us the church where we can teach and hold each other accountable. And we ask that you would help us to be uh, very loving and gracious and humble in our interactions with each other as we're at various places and stages as we pursue you, pursue holiness. We do love you and we want very much to please you with our life and to hear you say when we're finished with the race, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.